brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back to our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here's the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome to the show, everybody. Okay, we're going to be talking about humanism, to be humane. That's that's the title of the show. And, you know, what is humanism? You know, it, it is a very important concept, and we're going to talk more about it later as far as a philosophy and as far as a way of life. But humanism is basically a sense of groundedness, which you can either blend with Christian values or any kind of religious values, or you can leave it on its own and live underneath that. And what it's basically about is us taking responsibility for our own lives. And that means our own fate, our own destinies, our own outcomes, our own input to outcomes, and, and basically understanding that we have to take responsibility for the I in a part of any problem and in a part of life. We have to say what I did before we start blaming other people for what they did. And that's the basis of humanism. It's a centered, uh, really cool uh, philosophy about how we can interrelate with each other better and take charge of our human our humanness, and, and in many regards, from a, from a, even a religious perspective, humanism is very strong in the idea that we stop seeking a father or, or a religious figure or a religious doctrine, and start owning our own existence and evolving rather than being children living under the permissions of someone else or a greater or a greater God, and and that is kind of a, a an asking of the human race to graduate into its own personal responsibility for life. And that, that's what humanism is about. Now, whether you condone it or not, it's irrelevant. There's so many really strong tools in this particular uh, living way of existence. And so I want to offer that to you because it's healthy and, uh, and it's helpful. And once again, it doesn't mean you have to discard religion of any kind. It actually can walk parallel with it. You know, so what is it? And we have to understand, first of all, what differentiates us from animals? You know, we're very, we're still animals. We're unusual ones by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, our abilities from big brains to opposable thumbs have allowed us to change basically our world dramatically and even leave the planet. There are also odd things about us that are well, just special in relation to the rest of the animal kingdom. So, so what is it that makes us special? Well, speech. Speech is one of the things that makes us special. You know, our larynx or voice box sits lower in the throat in humans than it does in chimps. So one of the special features that enable human speech, human ancestors evolved uh, a descended larynx roughly about 300,000 uh, year, 350,000 years ago. We also possess a, a descended hydoid bone. This is the horseshoe-shaped bone below the tongue. And unique in that, it, it, it is not attached to any other bones in the body. And this allows us to articulate words when we're speaking. Also, humans have an upright posture. We are unique among the primates in how walking fully upright is our chief mode of locomotion. And this frees our hands for using tools. You know, unfortunately, the changes made in our pelvis for moving on two legs in combination with babies with large brains makes human childbirth unusually dangerous compared to the rest of the animal kingdom. So a century ago, childbirth was a leading cause of death 
for women. And the lumbar curve in the lower back, which helps us maintain our balance as well as stand and walk, also leaves us vulnerable to help the lower back uh, have pain and strain. Also, our nakedness. You know, we look naked compared to our, our hairier ape cousins. Surprisingly, a, a square inch of human skin on average possesses as much hair-producing follicles as any other primate or more. Humans often just have thinner, shorter, lighter hairs. Uh, you know, a fun fact about hair, even though we don't seem to have much, it apparently helps us detect parasites. Um, you know, clothing. Also, humans uh, may be called naked apes, but most of us wear clothing, a fact that makes us very unique to the animal kingdom. Save for clothing, we make for other animals. You know, development of clothing has just influenced the evolution of other species, like uh, the body louse, unlike any other kinds, clings to clothing, not hair. So now it thrives. You know, we have these very extraordinary brains you know without a doubt the human trait that sets us apart the most from the animal kingdom is our brain you know humans don't have the largest brains in the world those belong to sperm whales but we do even have the largest brains relative to body size so many birds have brains that make up more than eight percent of their body weight compared to only 2.5 percent for humans yet the human brain weighing only about three pounds when fully grown gives us the ability to reason and think on our feet beyond the capabilities of any other part of the animal kingdom provided uh, are the works of Mozart, uh, Einstein, and many, many other geniuses. Also, our hands. Contrary to uh, misconceptions, humans are not the only animals to possess opposable thumbs. Most primates do. Unlike the rest of uh, great apes, we don't have opposable big toes on our feet, though. So what makes humans unique is how we can bring our thumbs all the way across our hand to the ring on the little fingers. So we can also flex the ring and the little fingers towards the base of our thumb. And this gives humans a powerful grip and exceptional dexterity to hold and manipulate tools. And this, uh, getting off the topic, if you know, but what if we had six fingers? We would be hyper powerful. Also fire, you know, our ability to control fire would have brought us a semblance of a day to night, helping our ancestors see the otherwise dark world and keep nocturnal predators at bay. However, the warmth of flames also help people stay warm in weather, enable us to live in cooler areas, and of course, give us cooking, which some researchers suggest that influence human evolution. Cooked foods are easier to chew, digest, and perhaps contributing to human uh, reductions in uh, tooth and gut size. Also blushing, we are the only species known to blush. Uh, Darwin called this the most particular, most human of all expressions. And it really, they don't really understand why we blush, but the most common idea is that blushing helps keep people honest uh, benefiting a group as a whole. And so, uh, also, we have very long childhoods compared to any other animals. Humans must remain in the care of their parents for much longer than other living primates. You know, the question then becomes why? And when it gets uh, to make more evolutionary sense to grow as fast as possible to have more offspring, the explanation may be our large brains, which presumably require a very long time to grow and learn and be within safe context of someone else looking out for us so that we can develop into a thinking human creature. Also, life after children. You know, most animals reproduce until they die. 
But in humans, females can survive long after stopping production, uh, reproduction. And, th- and this might be due to the social bonds in humans and extended families. Mm-hmm. Grandparents can help ensure the success of their families long after they uh, themselves can even have children. Okay, now that that is just the differentiator of what makes us human. Now let's talk about humanism and its philosophy. You know, humanists think for ourselves as individuals. There's no area of thought that they are willing to explore, to challenge, to question, or to doubt. They're very skeptical. They feel uh, free to inquire and then to agree or disagree with any given claim. They're unwilling to follow a doctrine or adopt a set of beliefs or values that does not convince them personally. They, they seek to take responsibility for their decisions and their beliefs and that, and that necessitates their control over them. Though this unshackled spirit of free inquiry, new knowledge and new ways of thinking, uh, looking at ourselves and the world can be acquired. And without it, they are left in, in, in ignorance and, and substantially are unable to improve upon their conditions. So that is just a framework of what humanism and its philosophy is. And that's just an opening component out of it. But the bottom line is these are rugged individuals. These are true individualists. And uh, they make reasoned decisions based on their experience with approaches that abandon reason uh, convinces us that such approaches are inadequate and are often counterproductive for the realization of human goals. That means that they make rules for the moment. That means they live in the moment. They live in the time they're in. They don't live in all the pretenses and the moral values that we all project. What they do is they adapt to the time that they're in. They continuously believe in the adaption to their environment and changing and adapting and, and making new rules that make sense for new times and new evolution. Um, they also find uh, instead that they uh, any belief is possible if one lets themselves be aided by, uh, by arbitrary faith, authority, revelation, religious experience, alternative states of consciousness, or other substitutes for reason and evidence. Therefore, in matters of belief, they find that reason, when applied to the evidence of our senses and of our accumulated knowledge, is the most reliable guide for understanding the world and for making choices. They also base their understanding of the world on what they can perceive with their senses and what they can comprehend with their minds. So anything that is said to make sense should make sense to to the people as humans. Uh, Else, there's no reason to be the basis of decisions and actions. So suppose... You know, uh, a supposed uh, transcendented knowledge or intuitions that are said to reach beyond human comprehension cannot instruct us because they cannot relate concretely to them. So, the way in which humans accept supposed transcendence or religious knowledge is by arbitrarily taking a leap of faith and by abandoning reason and the senses. So, they find this course can be very unacceptable since since uh, it's not absolute moral rules. So they're they're a little bit more concrete and give me the facts and I'll operate off that. They're less faith based. And you know I I really have a strong sense that this is a, a little bit too far because the bottom line is everything in life is a leap of faith. All of our existence has no guarantees. Everything is a calculated risk, whether it's purely logical, it's intuitive, or it's emotional. So the, the molding of the human spirit, when you look at humanism in the, in the true form of living, 
not in its philosophy. And all we're talking about is a philosophy. But in the actual model of living within humanism, we have to understand that a leap of faith is life. And that, you know, fear and living in fear is something that we absolutely paralyze ourselves with. And if we surround ourselves with logic that gives us reason to fear, then we're not going to move forward and progress as people. So I feel, me personally, though they stand behind facts and uh, not making arbitrary and emotional decisions, I feel that they're missing a great part of the human spirit, which that is called intuition. That is where humanist, uh, humanistic uh, psychology actually opposes humanism. You know, we have to take a stake in a position as humanists that we, and I don't mean we, but they have to take a, a very strict position on what constitutes basic knowledge. They're not critical to the sources of ideas. Often intuitive feelings, hunches, speculation, flashes of inspiration can be excellent sources of novel approaches. So they basically look at intuition and our instincts as flashes of arbitrary uh, kind of an artistic sense, a, new, a unique way to go, but it's not a fact-based way to go. It's more of like, follow that lead and see where it takes you. You know, they don't disparage ideas. Humanists always want to get new ideas, and uh, then they want to get validity instantly. You know, human knowledge is not perfect, and humanism as a philosophy recognizes that. So they recognize that the tools for testing knowledge, the human senses, and human reasons are very fallible. Uh, and basically uh, tentative to the knowledge. That's why everything is a constant process of evolution. You know, scientific conclusions may not be exactly correct, but that's what you have today, and then they push you forward as you move by. That's humanism. And, uh, you know, we maintain, basically, they maintain that the human values only make sense in the context of human life. You know, a supposed non-human-like experience or existence after death they don't believe in, and uh, they don't believe that that's a part of the environment. The here and now, the physical world of our senses today, instead of living for death and what's going to be brought to us in heaven, let's say, or by God or by Jesus, that's not what they're talking about. What they basically are talking about is stop living in the future, stop living in the past, live now, make your purpose now, make memories, live, live, live. That's what they're talking about, and, and I think that is the best way to live your life. If you can fully understand that you have all the knowledge you need to live in the moment you're in, live in the moment you're in rather than forecasting your future, and what you're going to find is you have a lot more value in life, you bring a lot more memories, and the people that you interact with feel much more respected as you will yourself. You know, uh, they also believe that uh, human values only make sense in the context of human life. You know, so, so death, once again, uh, be included as part of the environment in which our val their values operate. They don't believe that we should operate with the fear of death. You know, and they base their ethical decisions and ideals upon human needs and concern as opposed to alleged needs and concerns of supposed deities or other transcendent entities or powers. So they don't have this outside force asking of us more than what we have to give. What they're asking us to do is give to human life and live within the values of being a human being and learn how to live with each other in a better way. And instead of uh, doing it for God and doing it for uh, powers, we do it for ourselves and we do it for the people around us. We, we actually have purpose in our life that has nothing to do with the instructions of a, a transcendent being.
Also, uh, they practice their ethics in a living context rather than an ideal one. Though ethics are ideals, ideals can only serve as guidelines in actual situations. That is why they oppose absolutistic moral systems that attempt to rigidly apply ideal moral values as if the world were itself an ideal place. And what they're saying is we're all human. We have to adapt. And uh, so that sense of adaption is what we have to understand. We're not just sitting there living in a doctrine of a religion or something that was dictated to us. We're actually evolving through our existence. And also, they have some tentative beliefs that are about the world, that our planet revolves around a medium-sized star, which is located near the outer edge of an uh, average-sized galaxy, uh, galaxy, which is part of a galaxy group consisting of 19 other galaxies, which is part of an expanding universe that, while consisting most mostly of cold, dark space, also contains perhaps 100 billion galaxies in addition to our own. And our species has existed only a very short time on the Earth, and the Earth itself has existed only a short time in the history of the galaxy. So our existence is incredibly minuscule and a brief part of a much larger picture. And once again, we're talking about humanism. I'm not projecting this as a way to think in life. I'm actually providing a different way of looking at things. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to go back into humanism a little bit as a philosophy, as a psychology, and then we're going to talk about how to apply it to our own lives and really get down to the tools that are going to help everyone. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. You can schedule an appointment with Dr. Bell, and many major health insurance plans are accepted. Call or text Dr. Bell today at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com. Dr. Bell could help you take back your life in four to eight carefully constructed sessions. Stop coping and start living in the now. Call 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. Inspired, encouraged, and connected on our lively, award-winning, healthy living power hour, Star Style. Be the star you are with host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are 
tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, we're talking about humanism, the philosophy. And the reason we're going into that is so that I can couch you going into the tools that are going to become very effective for people to have in their life. So as we go into this, I just want to give the building blocks of where this particular philosophy comes from. Because some people make it a religion. Some people make it a way of life. And so uh, let's look at this. There's no compelling evidence that the human mind from a humanist perspective is separate from the human brain, uh, which basically is a part of the body. So we all know that the personality indicates that every part is subject to change caused by physical disease, injury, and death. So thus, there is, from a humanist perspective, insufficient grounds for belief in a soul or some form of of uh, life after death. So once again, humans, humanists actually just believe in our existence today, live in the here and now instead of some projected future, don't fear death, don't think about death, live in the moment you're in rather than the last moment of your life and trying to set yourself up for that. Um, the, the, uh, when people are left largely free to pursue their own interests from a humanist perspective and goals to think and speak for themselves, to develop talents, to operate a, a social setting that promotes uh, freedom, uh, the number of beneficial discoveries always increase uh, from a humanist uh, perspective. And humanity actually moves further towards the goal of greater self-understanding, better laws, better institutions, and a better life. And also, uh, they are committed to free inquiry and and who see the value of social systems that promote freedom. And they encourage maximizing of uh, individual autonomy. And and in this context, they support such freedoms and rights as religious freedom, church-state separation, freedom of speech and the press, freedom of association, sexual freedom, And uh, the right to alternative family structures, the right to birth control, the right to abortion, and the the right to voluntary euthanasia. So, you know, they believe, and in some extremes, that we take our own responsibility for our own lives and don't start living for uh, religious doctrine. They also understand that humans are social animals and need to be both uh, per- have uh, both protections and restraints provided by social organizations. So they support laws that protect the innocent and deal effectively with the guilty and secure the survival of the needy. However, they desire a, a system of criminal justice that is swift, fair, ignoring uh, neither the perpetrator of a crime nor the victim and ignoring neither the detriments uh, or rehabilitation and the goals of penalization. So not all crimes or disputes between people must be settled according to law. You know, they believe in an alternative approach, including conflict mediation, where opposing parties come to a mutual agreement. And, uh, you know, humans also see potential in people at all levels of society, uh, uh, basically making decision-making outcomes become more uh, decentralized and thus involves more people. And so they look look 
forward to widespread participation and decision-making process in all areas mm-hmm. such as family, school, workplace, institutions, government, and the context. They see no ple- place for prejudice on the basis of race, nationality, color, sex, sex orientation, age, political persuasion, religion, philosophy, and they even see every basis for promotion of equal opportunity in the economy and in universal education. So once again, you know, from a humanist philosophy, they believe in us taking responsibility for our own lives and making rules for ourselves rather than looking up at a deity and what has been written and try to apply our life to that model. They also uh, uh, value human creativity and human reason who have benefits such as science and technology, and they're decidedly willing to take part in very new scientific and technological developments all over the world. So they see life and human history as a great adventure, and uh, we continue to evolve. And new facts are uncovered, new avenues for our expression are uncovered, new solutions to old problems, and new feelings uh, to experience. So sometimes uh, they're driven, uh, they drive towards a quest, and its participation in this quest is what gives lives meaning and makes beneficial discoveries possible and helps us evolve as a species. So, basically, in conclusion, you know, humanists basically start with human ways of comprehending the world and the goal of meeting human needs. And these lead to tentative conclusions about the world. And once again, tentative is the word we're looking at and relevant social policies because human knowledge must be amended from time to time. And because situations constantly change, human choices must change as well. And this renders current positions on social policy and the most adaptable part of humanist philosophy. So that's why they believe that religions eventually go away and that we have to constantly start evolving and pushing and operating under values and social structures uh, with law and order and safety in mind so that we can evolve as individuals. Now, as a psychology, uh, uh, humanistic psychology is uh, relating to an approach which studies the whole person and the uniqueness of every individual. So there is no patented way to treat someone. Essentially, the terms refer to the same approach in philosophy, which is humanistic, which is the holistic approach, which means that every bit of psychology has to be catered to the individual and the individual's needs. So it's a psychological perspective that basically emphasizes the study of the whole person. You know, sometimes it's called uh, phenomenological, and phenomenological, sorry, and that means that uh, personality is studied from the point of view of the individual's subjective experience. So, uh, you know, basically they look at the unconscious, the thinking, the human brain, their behavior, and what draws that behavior, and how they perceive, which is their own individual truth, and how they interpret events. And so every person has their own perception of everything in this world. And so, uh, you know, this humanistic philosophy or humanistic psychology, it offers a new set of values uh, of understanding the human conditions. And it offers an, an expanded horizon of methods of inquiry to study human behavior. And it also offers a broader range of more effective methods for professional practice of psychotherapy because you're not learning from books and applying it to people. You're actually functioning and there and personally aware of a person that you're treating and you're actually working with their problem in particular. So, um, 
the, the, the psychology of humanistic begins with the essential assumptions that, uh, that uh, phenomenological is central and that people have free will. And also the further assumption is that people are basically good, that they are well-intended and they have an innate need to make themselves and the world better. And so that means that most mistakes, most problems are not created because they have bad intentions. It's because they have flawed thinking. And so basically the sense is they have a type of thinking that is not adaptive for them. And so what you want to do is figure out an adaptive strategy that is well-intended that will help them out of their problem. And so basically psychologists argue that the objective reality is less important than a person's basic perception and understanding of the world. So that is what you have to get to know when you're doing uh, humanistic psychology. And it also uh, um, basically it rejects, rejects a, a comparative psychology, which is the study of animals, because it does not tell us anything about the unique properties in human beings. So enough of all this scientific talk about philosophy and humanistic psychology, but let's get, get down into more realistic tools that actually can help all of us in our existence. So how to be a good person. You know, how to be a good person means more than just doing things for other people. You have to accept and love yourself before you can put positive energy out there. Now, first of all, if you want to love yourself, you have to learn how to say no to things that hurt you. So if it's drugs, alcohol, whatever, anything that disrupts your life, that disrupts your relationship with your family, with your children, with your friends, with your work, anything that destroys you, anything that gets in your way, that is something in which you desperately need to start to say no to. And people that say no to things that hurt their lives begin to love themselves. So, you know, you'd have to determine for yourself what being a good person means to you personally. Some people think that being a good person is simple as not doing harm to other people. But it's not always about what you don't do, but what you do for others. Being a good person also includes helping yourself as much as others. You have to decide what you believe being a good person entails. What is your ideal of a good person? Make a list of traits that you believe make up a good ideal person and then start living your life according to these traits. And that's called values. And that means you actually begin to have values that you believe and you operate by, not some vague ideas of values, but some true values that you actually have invested your life in and you continue to operate by. Also, you're waiting for something in return. You're not doing things because it will help you look good. Or are you just doing things because you truly want to give and help? So stop putting airs and adapt the attitude of giving without any expectation of receiving anything, absolutely anything in return. And you also want to choose a role model. You know, having a role model provides you with an example of someone to correspond to. And this person should have traits that you want to attain. Think of ways that you can better embody qualities you admire. Think of how to apply those qualities in your work, in your creative pursuits, in your personal relationships, in your diet, in your lifestyle. Who do you look up to and why? How are they making the world a better place to live in and how can you do the same thing? So, you know, what... What qualities do you admire in them and how can you develop the same ones? And that does not mean you model your life after that person, that individual. But what it is, is you pull qualities out them that parallel things that you believe in and things that you need to improve your life. And you have to stop comparing yourself to other people. You have to try to understand that some have it better than you. 
but many have it worse in many ways. So when we make ourselves miserable by comparing ourselves to others, we are wasting time and energy that we get used in building up our own inner resources. So compliment yourself every morning. Being happy makes you a more positive person, which helps you put their most positive vibes out to the people around you. So you have your own unique gifts and talents. You don't focus on what you don't have. You focus on what you have and what you'd like to get. And you make plans to get what you need based on the tools that you have. So if you focus on sharing your gifts and your talents with the world instead of focusing on the gifts of other people. So that means we look at what our gifts are and we understand that we have more than what that we have we have more that is beyond what we need for ourselves but can be applied to other people's lives and that's when our life becomes bigger than ourselves. The other thing is as we said earlier is loving yourself, learning to love yourself in the every way. Practice unconditional self-acceptance. You know, many people, for instance, will look at their body at 40, 50, 60, maybe 30, maybe younger, and they go, oh, I just hate it. Well, that is your body at that moment. That doesn't mean it can't change. That's just the way it is now. If you want to change it, begin to make plans to change it and actually do it because self-esteem, self-love is based on people who do not procrastinate but actually follow through to completion because anything hard makes life easier. Anything hard will make your life easier. That means you have to apply yourself and follow through and complete what you start. And the more you do that, the more fulfilling your life's going to become and the more you're going to love yourself. You know, uh, are, are you, you have to ask yourself, you know, are you acting like a good person? And, and if you are actually self-loathing and angry on the inside, you may not be a good person despite all your outward actions. I can't tell you how many people fake happiness and then they go home and turn into a monster. So, you know, the deal is you've got to fl- – you can't just flip. You want to have peace on the inside and peace on the outside. Whatever you're showing on the outside, you need to show on the inside. Otherwise, you're living an ego. You're living a mask rather than who you are. And you want to blend those two. You want to bring them together. Uh, it's disassociation when you begin to live as a person on the outside and live as another on the inside. You know, the other thing is you want to be yourself. Remember to be yourself always and never do, uh, never who you're not. You know, don't try to be like someone else. Just be yourself and do things as simply as you can. Being yourself helps you be a genuine person who can reflect positive into the world. Staying true to yourself helps you find focus and it understands your core values and what you find important. And that means you become a decision maker in your life, a responsible, personal decision maker in your life. And if you can do that, if you can be yourself and be at peace with yourself, you begin to have what's called intuition because that means you can be trusted. That means people can look at your patterns and understand, hey, this is who this person is. Another thing is take the time to, to be calm. You know, to, if, if it's yoga, if it's meditation, if it's prayer. But you also need to cultivate the qualities you seek to embody. You know, meditation, yoga, prayer can help you find inner peace and focus on your inner self. And that sense of self-awareness helps you take the temperature on how you're coming across with other people and helps you manage your own behaviors. Also, to be a good person, you want to make small changes. You know, no one can change immediately. But even small changes can be enormous positive difference. So if you set small goals every month uh, or two, 
and focus on one or two key habits which you want to change. An example would be I, I listen to others without interrupting at all, either verbally or any other way. And think of how annoying you know it can be for you when other people begins to move their lips if you're about to intervene. If you're talking and someone else starts talking over you, that is the most rude, disrespectful thing. So a lot of people walk away enraged by people who talk over them. You know, if you want to become a powerful person in life, become a good listener. You also want to review goals every day. You know, start your mission to become a good person. You make a list and your ideals every day and make it a part of who you are. Follow those guidelines, follow those rules, and make that who you are. Take them and integrate them. You know, try to look at the bright side of things. Being, you know, bring a positive attitude to every situation. You know, negativity only hurts yourself, it only hurts others. If, uh, if you're negative and it has an impact on the way you treat others, Your mentality can influence the achievements of your days. And so something doesn't turn your way, try to change what you can and smile, stay positive, and move on. Also, do an act of charity for someone else. Try to do something nice for someone every day, even if it's something small. You know, something small could be buying a hamburger for a person behind you or buying a cup of coffee for someone behind you in a drive-in or whatever. But those kind of things actually make you feel better. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk more about being a good person. We're going to talk about intuition and how to be intuitive. Come back. us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. The Compassionate Life is about just that. There are so many human beings who have made a name for themselves by being humanitarians. They have become individuals who are known for being selfless, kind, and compassionate. Host Dr. Brittany King is also one of these humanitarians. Each week she shares stories of kindness that she has experienced throughout the world, both as a contributor and recipient of these acts of love and kindness. Listen every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at svcglobal.net. 
or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, we're talking about uh, being a good person, and one of the things a, a good person might consider doing is making a point to make the world a better place every time you leave your place or your dwelling, you know, things like picking up your trash, buying organic, locally grown food, you know, being a responsible pet owner by cleaning up after your pets, you know, donating old items to shelters or charitable organizations instead of a thrift store, you know, not taking the, the closest parking space. So you leave it for someone who needs it. Also, slow down. You know, good people slow down. Uh, they don't want to be in a hurry in the life. They want to slow down and enjoy simple things. So time is a, a medium that basically helps organize our days. So sometimes you have to follow a timetable like when you're on your way to work or getting your kids uh, to school. But if you have no time commitments, learn to live in the moment. Be patient with people. Think the best about them instead of the worst. And, and don't think the person who bumped past you is a jerk. Instead, understand that they may be late for work or, or to pick up a kid. You know, so, so don't be in a hurry to get in the store. Actually, actually enjoy doing that. And, uh, you don't practice forgiveness. So what is forgiveness? Well, it's understanding that people generally are not ill-intended. So even if they cross us, they're really not trying to cross us to get at us. What they're doing is they're trying. They have another intention. They have another thing that they need. And that's what we need to communicate to get to. You know, realizing that people are human, make mistakes, helps you let go of negativity so you can forgive people and you move on. And when you forgive, you let go of resentment that can cause anger, bitterness, turmoil, health problems. It also makes you more compassionate towards other people. Also being honest, you know, lying violates trust and destroys relationships. Instead of lying, be honest with those around you. Good people are honest and direct with what they're feeling and thinking. So you talk to those people who are bothering you instead of lying or getting others involved. Don't be passive aggressive. Have integrity. Make your word uh, mean something. And that means flat and straight. You don't get all Broadway production emotional. You just be flat and straight. You know, I feel this. I think this. But you're stating your feelings rather than demonstrating. You know, uh, you also want to make small gestures a daily habit like doing simple things such as smiling at someone or holding the door open for a stranger this will help you become a better person you know and also being empathetic and what is empathy well someone jumps off a cliff you stand up at the top of the mountain and you say that sucks for you when you're ready I'll throw you a rope or I'll get some help you don't just jump down there with them and start arguing about why in the heck did you do this you know also accept that means make peace with everyone around you. That means you are not the person that's going to change them. You know, part of being a good person is not being judgmental. You you have to accept everyone, no matter what race, age, sexual or- orientation, gender identity, culture they are. Realize that everyone is, has feelings. Every person is valid and everyone should always be, be treated with respect. Be respectful of all people, including elderly people, and realize that you will be old someday and may need a helping hand. So the next time you go to a mall or a parking lot or anywhere, look for an old person struggling with something like carrying bags, loading groceries in their car, and ask them if you can help them. And these are things that reinforce being a good person. The last uh, several things, but the most important thing is control your anger. 
You know, when you argue with someone, try to control your anger. Don't hide. Don't be rude when you're in an argument with a friend. Talk to them and work it out. And that means you listen to their perception of the truth, no matter how insane it sounds to you. You know, if you can't let go of your anger, try writing it down. Uh, write down your feelings. Uh, manage your thoughts by seeing what you're thinking. Don't try to correct people when they're angry by saying something irrational. Just listen with compassion. Remain quiet and say to them, I'm sorry you feel this way. Is there anything I can do? You know, we do not have to solve everybody's problems. You know, and we also want to compliment people and say nice things. That, that is an easy way to spread uh, positivity. And it's very important to compliment people because then we get a better response outdoor, out, out in, in our environment, that people will socially respond to us in a much better way. Also, if we want to be a better person, we want to be a, uh, a better listener. You know, people rarely take the time to listen. So everybody wants to feel important like they matter. Take the time to listen. Follow what the person is saying. Don't get distracted by what's going on around you and play with your cell phone. Be engaged with the person and the conversation. Ask follow-up questions. This helps know that you're paying attention. Also, you want to celebrate other per- person's victories and good qualities. We want to recognize those kind of things in people. If That's what good people do. They also uh, are a role model. They live their life in a way that inspires other people. They share their life, their philosophies with others. They find someone to be a role model to. They're cautious of the way that you live, so you will always be acting in a way that will make someone proud. Give, uh, you know, operate with good values. You also want to share your possessions, your positivity, your happiness, your life. You don't want to be emotionally stingy. You want to be generous and encouraging. Share your knowledge. Share your opportunities. Share your time. Share your food. And never take the biggest piece of pizza or the slice of meat. But lastly, we want to respect everyone. And respect is listening. And we talked about that earlier. But that is uh, the big thing. And, and another thing is is to not unfairly judge people. Treat others the way we want to be treated. And I know we all hear that. All right. Now, we're talking about intuition at this time. I'm going to get into intuition because it's an unconscious form of knowledge. It's, it's basically immediate and often not too open to rational analytic thought processes. You know, uh, rationalization of an intuition and the development of a chain of logic to demonstrate more structurally ways is why it's valid uh, is very important about intuition. Intuition differs from an opinion. You know, intuition is held to be affected by the previous experiences, not only unconsciously, but intuition is also said to differ from instinct, which does not have the experience element at all. But a person who has intuitive opinion cannot immediately fully explain why they hold that view. Intuition is not limited to opinions, but it can encompass the ability to know valid solutions to problems. It has advantages in solving complex problems and in finding new results. Also, it is one source of common sense. It can also help the induction uh, to gain empirical knowledge. And it also is an important, brainstorming is a very important intuitive Method. It does not mean to find a solution immediately, though it does mean the solution comes unexplicably. And sometimes it helps, uh, you know, a person to sleep. So, uh, you know, there's a, a Russian maxim that basically says the morning is wiser than the evening. You know, and intuition plays a very key role and it is highly form of skill. So what is it? What is this intuition? Uh, you know, they have... Uh, Intuition is basically 
a uh, instinctual understanding of what needs to happen. That means that something we have an inner voice that is telling us this is not the right way to go or something here is dangerous or this person is not a good person to deal with. Those instincts need to be heard. That's uh, especially when it comes to personality disorders. It's amazing that if you follow your intuition, you can discover a personality disorder within seconds because the person walks in the room and basically your first instinct is ew, ew. I do not like this person. And basically what that means is you have no logical reason not to like this person, but instantly your instincts tell you something is very wrong with them. That's how you can tell, and that's why many people are with people. They don't understand why nobody likes them, but the fact is is they're with a person that has a personality disorder. That person is not liked because people's intuition beat it in their heads and tell them, stay away, stay away. This person has a lot of problems. You know, it's a challenge to define intuition because it plays a huge role in everyday lives. You know, it's your most powerful intellect. You know, before we put it into words, we, we intuitively know just what it is. So pretty much everyone has experienced what's called a gut feeling, that unconscious reasoning that propels us to do something without telling us why or how. But the nature of intuition has long eluded us and inspired centuries worth of research and inquiry in both psychology and uh, philosophy. So, you know... Intuition basically can be defined as the subtle knowledge without ever having any idea of why you know it. And, and so it's, it's different from thinking and it's different from logic or analysis. It's knowing without knowing. So our t- intuition is always there whether we're aware of it or not. And, uh, you know, even when we're not in, in, the, in the fork at the road, wondering what to do and trying to hear the inner voice, our intuition is always there, always reading the situation, always trying to steer us the right way. But can we hear it? That's the big question. Can we hear it? And, uh, you know, are we paying attention to it? Are we living a life that keeps us in the, in the pathway that our intuition is unblocked? You know, feeding, nurturing our intuition and living a life in which uh, we can make uh, wisdom is the key to thriving at work and in life. Now, don't don't take this with uh, or don't mistake this for depression. You know, because if you have an emotional reason not to do something, oh, I don't feel like it, or my feelings tell me, or my emotions tell me, blah blah blah. That's that's not what intuition is. Intuition is not about past negative experiences and learning from those and developing a fear that that's going to happen again, some some serious incident. Don't mistake it for I don't feel like it, you know, wake up in the morning and saying, I I don't feel like going to work. My intuition tells me not to go to work. And that's an excuse. That's a cop out. Intuition is a clear knowledge that we all have to acknowledge. But it is not an emotional knowledge. It is an instinctual knowledge, you know, and so we have to differentiate between what it is and what it isn't. You know, cognitive science is beginning to demystify the strong but sometimes uh, presence of unconscious reasoning, you know, often dismissed is, is unscientific because of its connections to the psychic and paranormal. But intuition isn't just a bunch of hoo-ha about our spidey senses, you know, basically, which has helped, it, you know, people make quick judgments. If you're in battle, you don't have time to take anything but your intuition. And I will tell you, the safest soldiers are the soldiers who are intuitive. So they listen to their inner voice, and here, here thing, here's some qualities that people like that have. 
you know, it's uh, the number one thing that distinguishes intuitive people is that they listen to rather than ignore the guidance of their gut feelings. Everybody's connected to their intuition, but some people don't pay attention to that intuition, and that's because they don't trust themselves. And uh, also, in order to make the best decisions, we also need a balance of intuition, which serves as a bridge gap between instinct and reasoning. So basically, we listen to our instinct, we listen to our reasoning, and we develop intuition, and we follow that. You know, if you want to get in touch with your intuition, a little time alone may be the best way. Just as solitude can help give rise to creative thinking, it also helps us connect to our deepest wisdom. So intuitive people are often introverted, uh, but whether you're an introvert or not, taking the time for solitude really helps you engage in deeper thought and reconnect. Also, intuitive people, a quality that, that they have is they create. Creativity does its best work when it functions intuitively. In fact, creative people are highly intuitive and uh you know, just as you increase your creativity through practice, you boost your intuition. And so practicing actually beefs up your intuition. They also practice mindfulness. And mindfulness uh, can be an excellent way to tap into your intuition. And that's much like me- um, a meditation or yoga or prayer. It can help you filter out mental chatter and weigh your options objectively and tune in to your intuition, which ultimately makes a decision that you can stand by completely. And that is a humanist uh, thought process. That means we are actually engaging other people in clear thought. We're not letting our emotions dictate how we make decisions. And also, intuitive people observe everything because they're at peace with themselves. They keep a little journal. They notice when odd things happen. They follow. They make their instincts aware of those things. And they listen to their bodies. They're very in tune with their bodies and their gut feelings. They also pay attention to their dreams Um, You know, and they also enjoy plenty of downtime so that they have energy to give other people. And they're mindful to let go of very negative emotions because these negative emotions can disrupt our lives. Okay, well, that's a lot about humanistic and humanism and how to be a good person and how to understand intuition. That's our show. Our next show is Marriage Communication. So I want to thank everybody for listening. I'd love to hear from you. Get your feedback, drgbmft at sbcglobal.net or Twitter at drgbmft. Now remember, women always are worried about what a man will forget. Men always worry about what a woman will remember. That's from Albert Einstein. This is also from Albert Einstein. The difference between genius and stupidity is that genius has its limits. Thanks for listening. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. We'll be right back. 